my name is Gummo. I'm, I'm a hacker. I've been uh, a hacker for the past 36 years and I'm um, here to tell my story. Um, my story started pretty, um, pretty young, right? Uh, I was born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, grew up absolutely dirt poor and uh, I, I had uh, an older brother. I had two older brothers, one half-brother and uh, a natural sibling. Uh, and all of us grew up uh, in Jacksonville. Growing up in Jacksonville, uh, you know, uh, we, we, were, uh, we only had a, a mom or mother. Uh, she raised us by herself, all three of us, or, or the, best, be, the best that she could. Uh, she, was, um, she was an alcoholic. And uh, she did the best, uh, raising three boys. Uh, my mom passed away when I was uh, 12 years old in 1985. Uh, and uh, I actually, actually woke up on December the 7th, 1985, and uh, uh, pulled the covers back, and uh, there was my mom. Uh, and so, uh, Ever, ever since then, I've been on my own. Um, my brother and I, we went to go live with um, my aunt, but uh, she failed at that miserably. And uh, my father was in prison, uh, so there was no choice really but to live with friends of the family, which, uh, which we did uh, for a little while. And uh, my brother, uh, he, he was about a year and a half older than me, so he was, was much more of a free spirit, and uh, so he, yeah, he, uh, he just went on, went on his way, um, went on to do his thing uh, at uh, 16 years old. Uh, by that time, I, I'm 14 and a half, and you know, really on my own. Uh, and that's when I discovered uh, computers. Right, um, actually, I discovered computers about three years earlier, before my mother passed away. Uh, never really gave any consideration to it other than you know uh, any other normal kid at at uh, at the age of eight nine ten uh, so it sat until my mother passed away and um, before she passed away the night that uh, the, the night actually that she passed away uh, she had come home uh, from uh, graduation or my brother my half brother had graduated uh, basic training at Fort Benning and um, the, the thing she told me before she went to bed was, uh, she asked me how my, my, my computer studies were coming along. And um, I lied to her, right? And I said they were going great. Uh, in actuality, I really wasn't doing anything. Uh, then she passed, right? And then uh, I, I um, you know, you deal with what you can deal with when, when you were you know, 12, 13 years old. And uh, my outlet was computers. Uh, first, uh, you know, I withdrew like any other kid does, uh, I guess, I don't know. Uh, and second of all, I, um, I began to master my computer. I had a TRS-80 Model 2 <laughs> and I taught, myself to, uh, I taught myself how to code, uh, code basic. And um, for a couple of years, that's where that's where I, I, I was, right? When when people would ask me if I was fine, yeah, I'm fine, yeah. But you know, <laughs> my grades were really disastrous. Um, 
you know, I, I had a couple of friends that I really engaged with, but no one too in particular. Uh, but I did withdraw. I, I did withdraw even more into my computer. Right, that uh, I, I got an acoustical modem, <laughs> connected that uh, to a, a local bulletin board, um, and began to meet other people. Began to meet other people like me. Um, and then, uh, you know, people ask about you, right? You know, they, they want to know who you are. And, you know, back then, the, the internet was, the internet really wasn't what people think it is now. It was more or less um, dial-up boards, uh, ARPANET, uh, closed loop systems, such a, things of that such. Uh, and, but uh, I set up a bulletin board uh, on a local BBS system uh, and uh, at, at the ripe old age of uh, 14, I uh, started to meet other, other hackers online. Uh, and I, I started to learn a lot of uh, cool things like, um, like uh, telephone freaking, like how to make free phone calls. Um, I discovered a subculture of people who existed on the phone lines, on the telephone lines. Where they, where you could talk to someone, uh, you know, in, in in London or in in Paris or in Georgia or L.A., and you could meet these people on on the telephone on the, the, the these telephone um, party lines, so to speak. And so that was so. Um, you know, I'm 14 years old. I'm learning how to freak telephone systems. Uh, freaking telephone systems was a way to actually access the old um, telephone systems, the old bell systems, um, with special instructions and codes and, and, and um, methods, uh, which, are, which have long since um, expired, uh, since uh, you know, the telephone system has uh, gone digital. But um, so I'm 14 years old, I'm learning, you know, I'm learning how to uh, you know, code myself. I've set up a bulletin board. I'm meeting hackers, and I'm getting advice. I'm I'm learning how to do things. I'm learning how to get the things that I need, right? Because I'm living with friends of the family, and they really, you know, they they, they too themselves were barely able to su support me, uh, much uh, barely themselves as well. So, I everything that I had to do was for myself, right? Um, Everything um, from food to money for, for money for clothes for school, um, uh, everything. My my entire existence depended on my willingness to make sure that I was taking care of myself, and so uh, that's what I learned how to do. I learned how to, at the age of 15 years old, uh, I took a Bell and Howell language master, and I, I learned how to um, reprogram credit cards. Uh, to use them at, uh, in stores and, and um, in ATMs ba uh, back before ATMs really uh, had a dedicated ATM line to verify the, a transaction. Um, and of course, I would understand the batching process and all that. Um, but those, that, was, that was 32 years ago. Um, and I just learned how to manipulate things to get the things that I wanted, uh, whether it was printing a, U, uh, a UPC code for food for, from the, the store, which I needed, or doing the, uh, the, the, um, the magnetic gas handle flip. Back in those days, uh, when you needed gas for your car, there was a dial on the, 
on the gas pump and you would flip the dial on and off. Well, if you would have if you took a sp an old fashioned speaker magnet and set it next to the, the, the handle that would flip it up and engage the pump, the, the pump would begin to run to distribute gas in, in the hose, but it would, the numbers wouldn't turn. And so um, that was, uh, so I kept learning these tricks, right? Uh, I kept learning little tricks to survive, survivability tricks. Learning how to social engineer people um, to get what I wanted, uh, whether it, uh, it was access to a, spe a specific uh, computer that I wanted to dial in to steal some files from, or whether or not it was to convince the, the supermarket manager that I had actually that I'd left some food behind, when in turn I actually hadn't, just so I could eat that night. Um, so, you know, uh, just growing up, uh, letting, uh, meeting hackers on the, uh, online, uh, people, people giving me uh, what I felt like was worthwhile advice to survive, to, to be able to you know, not, not wind up in, in a bad situation. Uh, and that's, um, that's exactly how I, I kept my, uh, myself from uh, falling apart from going under, um, living with, and all, all of the while, right, I'm still living with uh, friends of the family. Uh, 1989 comes around, I'm, I'm 16, 17 years old. Uh, the, the friends of the family really had enough of me living there, so um, uh, the official parting of ways, right, so there I am. Uh, I just turned 17 years old. And I'm on my own. Um, I have a, uh, I had a Chevrolet Chevette, a 1984 Chevrolet Chevette, no, a 1982 Chevrolet Chevette, powder blue, and all of my stuff was in there, and including, <laughs> including my TRS-80 Model Two. Uh, and uh, I, I went, uh, I lived in my car for, for, um, for the better part of the entire year of 1989, uh, and. It, it was tough, right? It was, uh, you know, I dropped out of school. Um, I, I, I began to lose focus. I, I began, uh, began stealing cars, began using my skills in very, very uh, unique fashions to obtain money quickly. Uh, because when you're living in your car, what, <laughs> what choice do you have? Um, so yeah, I did that for about a year, uh, and uh, then I, then I met uh, then I, then I met a girl, and uh, she became my girlfriend, uh, and ultimately she became my wife, and um, she helped me. She helped me realize what what I was capable of uh, of, of doing, and um, her family took me in. And um, I went and uh, I went and got a went and got a job, you know, just bagging groceries and shit, and um, just kept doing that, right? You know, someone someone believing in me, you know, and uh, still sticking to computers. Uh, I had a daughter, my daughter who turns 30 this December. Uh, my daughter, my wife and I had a daughter. And uh, I, I realized that, uh, you know, I needed to, needed to do better, 
needed to do more, provide more for, um, for my wife and my daughter. And so uh, there I am bagging groceries, um, working, at, working in retail stores, uh, and actually working hard and continuing my computer studies, teaching myself how uh, C, uh, COBOL, Fortran, uh, all of the old languages, teaching myself computer languages, uh, and taking care of a, of a wife and a, and a, and a kid on $5 an hour, and uh, kept doing that. And about, uh, about two years into that, uh, I got the opportunity, I saved up enough money to go um, to the Chaos uh, Congress in, in Germany, uh, which is an annual conference of hackers from all around the world. And um, I, uh, I met some, some, uh, some, some hackers like me who had, uh, who had not only been through a struggle, but were continuing to go through a struggle. And I met a friend of mine, his name was Boris Florek. Uh, he went by the hacker named Tron, and we became really good friends. And um, Boris and I, we, we worked on a lot of smart card systems together. He taught me about smart cards, the, the little chip card in your wallet that everyone carries around, you know, that thing, what's in your wallet. Um, and at the time, no one really knew what smart cards were. They were only used extensively in Europe at the time. And so Boris taught me about smart cards, these things that uh, have a computer, a microprocessor in them. And he taught me that these things control many things from, um, from television uh, access to telephone access to um, making uh, and receiving long distance calls. And so we worked on a crypto card scheme together to where we were able to actually reverse engineer um, about five different providers uh, who issued um, chip cards, smart cards for their services. Um, we successfully decrypted those services and with that knowledge, um, it, you know, after we became friends, um, after a couple years, um, we, we began to converse back and forth. Uh, you know, at that, at that point, this is 94 and uh, now I'm attending uh, the Chaos Congress each year and uh, meeting with Boris and we're, we're, we're chatting back and forth on uh, this, you know, all kinds of technology, um, most specifically uh, smart cards. Uh, about that time uh, here in the United States, um, Hughes, Hughes Space Systems uh, was ready to launch a, a system called DirecTV. Um, back then, actually, it was called uh, DSS, the Digital Satellite System, and, and uh, Hughes built the system from the ground up. Uh, and I was interested in that. Uh, the reason I was interested in that, because at, at this point, it's 1995, my father has just been released from prison, and so I go to visit him, and he's watching television. I said, oh, Dad, what is that? And he's like, oh, it's a satellite system called DirecTV, or... And I was amazed by the, the picture quality and, and how, how great it looked. And, and it all came on a little small 18-inch dish. Uh, so that, that was pretty fascinating. And, and I, I looked at the system and, and I'd, I'd realized that was, um, 
it was it was controlled it, all of the authorizations were controlled by you know you guessed it a smart card uh, so I it really took very little to no effort uh, between Boris and I to collaborate on uh, the direct TV F card which uh, basically was uh, a, a smart card that allowed authorization for customers to receive HBO all of the channels right pay-per-views etc and um, we successfully created a, a, a quite little humble system to reprogram those cards and um, it, you know, laughed it off, uh, really didn't think anything of the wares after that. Uh, and then several, several months passed, right, uh, busy, busy couple years, um, I'm, going, I'm going to school uh, and, and actually um, working at a, uh, at a carpet cleaning company and um, just really just surviving, paying the bills and continuing to enhance my skills. And um, I'm like, well, you know, the hell with it, you know, let's, it, I really need some more money, you know, my, my daughter's you know, getting ready to go into you know, school and so I wanted to put her into school. And so uh, I, I decided to sell my wares uh, for programming uh, DirecTV satellite access cards and so that's what I did. Um, I, I realized that it was very easy to make money um, doing, doing, providing a service for people who did not wish to pay their bill. Uh, so I really, I really tried to, I really wanted to one-up my game, right? So uh, Boris and I, we worked together on some <clears throat> extensible ideas and uh, we created some software that we sold to the Canadians um, and uh, we we made some money, right? We made um, we made you know ten million dollars each, and I was able to get everything that I wanted, uh, and so did Boris, uh, and it, it was great. But uh, there there was there were a lot more factors than just Boris and I releasing code. There were other in, uh, mitigating factors. Uh, you had an entire um, battalion of hackers from Rupert Murdoch's end. Uh, trying to uh, actually uh, circumvent um, other services and competitors out there uh, to destroy them, which they ultimately did. Uh, but that's a whole other story. So, uh, hacked DirecTV for a few years uh, and made some money. Went to uh, got caught, um, and then uh, a after I got caught, I was. Uh, I was offered, uh, offered a, uh, an opportunity, right, uh, rather than to go and sit in prison for uh, <laughs> a long time. Uh, I was uh, asked to consult in helping a company at that time called NDS to help them solve their conditional access problem, which at that point, you know, uh, their entire, the entire DirecTV system was completely compromised. Um, and uh, NDS was looking for a way to um, close, stamp out piracy. So uh, consulted with uh, some uh, good minds uh, in uh, Haifa, Israel for a couple years and went on my way. Came back to Jacksonville uh, after hanging out, consulting, uh, securing the, the DirecTV period four card, uh, helping, helping uh, a lot uh, with that technology. Moving on, uh, coming back home, uh, my name sort of floated out in the wrong direction. Uh, this this uh, guy who was uh, doing the DirecTV cards, he, his wife was a, um, 
uh, a dispatcher and and she she had actually she had she obtained my information uh, and then my wife's information and then my family's information and 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 pretty much doxed me at that point and back then doxing someone was really uh, a, a terrifying thing as, as such it is now right when when someone doxes you and posts your information on the internet uh, it's it's a shitty thing to go through and um, in my in my circumstance I had a lot of um, a lot more uh, a, a lot more uh, things that I was involved with with the government so um, uh, with, with a lot of help from the government and uh, my own self uh, my self motivation uh, it was t it, I, I moved I moved to Indiana uh, packed up the kids uh, packed everything and moved to Indiana uh, it's just gonna really kind of lay low for a while um, you know I just got back from Israel mo I moved from Florida to Indiana and really just kind of you know chilled out I got a little job I got a job at a newspaper uh, and um, I, you know handled their websites and all of that real low-key low-tech job nothing fancy living in the middle of a cornfield so to speak and and uh, enjoyed it, enjoyed the life uh, for a couple years. Um, and then I was asked to, uh, and then uh, a gentleman I met in Indiana invited me up to Chicago to at, take a look at his business to see what sort of technical advice I could give him for his business. And so um, I traveled to Chicago, um, sort of you know, got to know him uh, within several days. Uh, he got to know who I really was about my my background, and um, I went to work for him. Uh, and uh, at this point, right, you know, now I have a job, right, and, and I'm doing, um, I'm setting up, uh, you know, IT infrastructure for his company, and and uh, making sure that all of his offices connect. Uh, and not only that, but securely, right? Uh, cybersecurity really wasn't a thing then. Uh, it it was barely even mentioned, um, but you know, ci but cybersecurity to me, right, to what exists now or what people realize as cybersecurity now, to me is just uh, an afterthought or was an afterthought. Still, sort of is uh, mentally speaking, um, because you know things that people are writing papers about, talking about, creating solutions about. Um, it, these are all things that um, are built on technologies that were built when the internet uh, was created, right? And you're, you're, everybody's you know, talking about 1970s technology and no one's really trying to fix the problem. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I provided cybersecurity uh, for him, his company, set, set up the whole deal. Um, and then just started meeting new friends along the way in Chicago. Uh, that's how it is in Chicago. Um, and uh, one thing led to another. I uh, met uh, a gentleman named Willard Harper, Willard Buddy Harper. Uh, and he, um, he worked at the uh, CME in Chicago. He was one of the uh, largest uh, hog traders in, um, in the world, really. And he gave me an opportunity to um, create um, some special networks for the CME uh, to connect to the NYSC 
And so with that, after doing several of those, you know, meaning, you know, they were really simple for me, but I, I created some uh, ultra high speed private networks that only the CME and the NYSE um, still use. And so he was impressed with that, and he's like, what else can you do? And just, I'm like- Just so people know, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange. That is correct, yeah. yes, yeah. So I set up um, two bi-directional uh, unique fiber lines um, specifically for those two exchanges and secured them. Um, so yeah, he asked me what was next. Uh, so I'm like, hey, there's this thing called Bitcoin. Uh, I'm kinda, it kinda piques my interest. And, uh, he asked me what I needed. Uh, I said, you know, about a million bucks would work. And he, he literally opened up a file cabinet and had a million dollars. And he's like, all right, go, go to it. And um, that's what I did. Uh, at that point, I built, uh, I built a supercomputer that was able to mine Bitcoin. Uh, mined about 5,000 Bitcoin. And at that point, I believe they were, Bitcoin was trading at 200 to $300 a coin. And so he was impressed, and so was I, actually. And so we built three more over the next eight months. I built three more uh, and had them right there at uh, 107 West Van Buren Street uh, across from the CME uh, and just sucking up electricity. Um, but uh, at, the, at the end of that year and a half run, uh, we were able to mine uh, close to 80,000 Bitcoin. So yeah, I uh, kind of... Uh, Kind of, you know, after a couple of years of doing that, I really felt uh, a little, a little sense of accomplishment. But I really didn't feel like I was done. So I ran into a gentleman. Um, <laughs> so I'm just kind of, I'm squandering around Chicago, right? I've, I've made, you know, some Bitcoin. You know, I'm hanging out. You know, walking around the Loop. You know, hanging out in Millennial Park and just hanging out with my friends. Uh, and it kind of been kicking back. And I met a gentleman, and he said, "Hey, you know." Um, our company needs a webmaster, right? And a webmaster is just basically someone who did, just does web work for a company. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll come and be your webmaster, right? Because having a job, having a legitimate job f completes who I am, right? I could sit around and, and do whatever I want to make money, but in the end, I think it's about working an honest nine to five. And so, yeah. Yeah, hey Jackson, I'll go and work. You be a webmaster at your software company, and so I went to work there uh, <laughs> as their webmaster, and, and it was it was hilarious, right? Their 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 vice presidents, they're like, well, this is a very important job, and you, you should blah blah blah, and I'm yes sir, and you know, and and uh, yes ma'am, and and I really kept the ruse up as long as I could, but uh, I was outed by um, <laughs> a friend of mine uh, that worked there. Um, and uh, he outed me to the marketing manager and the marketing manager, she outed me to the entire staff. And eventually I became responsible for their cybersecurity practice. And so I'm like, well, shit, uh, I guess I'm doing cybersecurity. So here I am uh, doing cybersecurity for a software company in Chicago, unintended, right? But uh, honing my skills, right? Figuring out, um, figuring out the best method for, uh, to, to stand up uh, specific um, protocols and, and systems and, and things of that nature from a cybersecurity perspective. And so uh, that's what I did. And I did it pretty well. Um, but uh, then they fired me. Uh, then they just, they fired me. And so uh, yeah, it was kind of a thing between the owner and myself. Uh, he didn't like me and 
I surely didn't like him. So uh, now that that's public, I really didn't like him. Um, so after that, right, uh, I, I just uh, took a couple gigs as cybersecurity. Um, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, just did my thing. Packed up my stuff the entire time in Chicago, uh, and um, came back to Jacksonville. And uh, again, you know, doing consulting with a company for cybersecurity, and I enjoy it. But. Um, the, that, that's what led me to where I am now, right, from, from some of those angles. Um, I've been responsible for putting some uh, heavy hitters uh, away. I've worked with law enforcement uh, in, in the past, uh, some real heavy hitters. Uh, they, you know, uh, I'm really good at hunting hackers and finding people and finding, and not finding, not finding just people, just but finding the real, the, real, the real hacker, right? The real hacker that's really causing mayhem. I'm that guy that looks for that hacker. And I, I, do, that, I do that very seriously and continue to do that because um, I provide my service not only for companies, right, but for um, celebrities and, and, and stars, right? They, they consult with me, I, I, I work with them personally uh, and uh, to solve any cybersecurity questions or issues that they have. You know, some of, the, some of the things that people don't understand is that everyone carries around a smartphone. You know, watching, watching Edward Snowden, you know, do all of this ridiculousness, hiding undercovers and everything. Everyone should know that your smartphone is, is a PC, is, is a portable computer. And the things that, that smartphones are capable of doing are, are are very terrifying. Um, there, there just recently was an exploit that I had used for years for iOS that allowed me to actually listen in on your phone conversations, to read your SMS messages, to read your email, to actually see everything that you do on your I, iOS device. Um, and those, 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 sort of, those sort of exploits exist everywhere um, in everything. Almost everything has a GPS chip in it. Almost every device has a chip in it. And if it has a chip in it, it can be exploited. And when, when things are exploited, sometimes th devices, things, systems, and people are exploited for one reason or another. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that are very scary out there. There, there are, right now, there's, there are people selling your information they are selling your. They are selling your Wi-Fi network. They're selling your Wi-Fi credentials. They're selling your Ancestry.com genealogy data. They're selling all of that. There's the 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 thing that people don't really understand is that there really is no more privacy in this world. Uh, unless you go and live on an island somewhere in the South Pacific with no electricity and no other people, there, there are things to be taken advantage of in systems and devices and, and so on. You know, it, it takes, it takes a, a professional car thief about 30 seconds to steal a car now because you really don't need to hotwire anything or use a screwdriver or e even a laptop, you can use an, an RF intercept or intercepting device which could do a man-in-the-middle attack with just a key fob and you can steal someone's, 
you know, $150,000 car with that. There, there are, the, the technology stacks out there are endless to that are being taken advantage of. Most, most notably are the cellular systems, the, the mobile systems. What people carry around most are, are, contain the most value and the most data. Putting your information on, uh, putting your information on TikTok, you know, creating a TikTok account and, and, and filming from so many locations, you, you don't realize what you're really doing is you're really, you're really giving everything that you, you hold possessive and private out to the world. And that's where we see people being attacked, people being, um, their, their bank accounts being compromised, et cetera. Speaking of bank accounts, a lot of people realize that, you know, they, you know when you log into your bank, and a lot of ba banks will really deny this, but banks actually have back doors into, their, in, into your accounts, into your system. Just think about it for a moment. You log in to your bank account, you know, through suchandsuch.com and you have to answer all of these ridiculous questions and get a two-factor SMS message sent to you so you can enter in the code. But people really don't realize is that their banks also have backdoor access to where applications like your TurboTax and your, 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 your money management software, all of that, how do you think that connects to your banks? And so with these backdoor connections into banks, uh, things continue to be in inherently insecure. Um, you, we see data breaches every day where millions of people have their information stolen and not only stolen, but you know, sold and uh, used against them. Uh, one of, the, one of the things that we also have to realize is that we have quantum computers coming. Quantum computers will make all current and former uh, encryption algorithms absolutely obsolete. So if you have something that you've encrypted in the past or you have some encrypted files uh, and they've been anywhere on the internet, in a book, wherever someone else can access your encrypted files, well, very soon those files won't remain encrypted long, and so ho hopefully, you know, the, your, those uh, those secrets were quite well encrypted. Websites, websites have so many flaws in them. If you go, everybody needs a website nowadays. Everybody has has a website to go to. Their favorite website. Right now, about 90% of the, the web and the technologies that support them in your applications and websites, they're, they're insecure. They're inherently insecure. Whether or not it's a web server running an open port or a mis, misconfigured um, file on your server, uh, there's something that there, there's, there's, there's a little bit of something out there for everyone to take advantage of. And, there's, and now everyone is paying the price. Everyone now is becoming victims to these crimes to where they thought they weren't a victim, uh, they, th where they never thought that they would actually be potentially be a victim. Um, 
app, you know, the more mobile applications, the more people that are using the phones that we just, you know, the more, more people that use mobile devices require more mobile applications, require more, more data centers, require more servers for those applications to, to connect to. And those are all at risk. You know, it, it really, all you have to do is, you know, do a DNS query or on anyone's web domain and you can begin to uncover the pieces of, of how insecure most organizations and individuals are. Uh, people don't realize that uh, they are, you know, when, when they're at home, they, they put a, a password on their, their router and they think that's it, that's, you know, I'm safe, I'm secure. But no one, no one really understands the context of, you know, using an additional layer of protection like a VPN or, or some sort of ad blocking technology. Um, and, and people don't realize that their IP address is, is basically like a flag out there on the internet for them, uh, and for them to be discovered, for them to be stalked, harassed, intimidated, uh, swatted, it doesn't matter. Uh, and so it, it, all come, it, it all comes with uh, understanding you know, these, these technologies and, and understanding how to protect ourselves and how to protect yourself uh, against uh, bad people um, wearing hoodies and cloaks. Um, as I said, not all hackers are bad people. Um, most hackers, everyone is a hacker. If it weren't for hackers, we would not have Wi-Fi. We wouldn't have cameras. We wouldn't have many things that we take uh, for granted today. Um, criminals are the ones that give hackers a bad name. Criminals are the ones who are breaking into systems and stealing information and creating data breaches. Criminals are the ones who are stalking people in bad contexts and stealing from others who don't, who don't belong not hackers. And so, you know, it, it's been said before, and here I am saying it too, right? Hackers are not bad people. The criminals are bad people, but hackers, no. Nah. My thing now, right, is to, to tell my story, to tell people that, you know, hackers really aren't bad people. Hackers really have uh, a story to tell too. You know, I, I have a story to tell, and I, I'm telling it, and I'm almost done telling it. But, you know, we're just like anyone else. We, we, we live, we breathe, we, we have feelings. We, we, actually, we actually overindulge in our feelings because we wonder what people are always doing and what the next best thing is. You know, I, um, you know, I painted my, my pinky pink back in 2006 because a friend of mine, I was visiting a friend of mine in, uh, in Fort Myers and her daughter came and tugged on me and she said, hey, why are you such a bad hacker? Why don't you be a good hacker and do good things? And ever since then, man, you know, I've advocated for doing good things with your skills, helping people, helping others, you know, not, not doing something for yourself, doing something for others, making sure that making sure that, you know, your mom and dad wakes up in the morning without their shit being you know, sold on a, on a dark market and to help and to help people, right? To help people achieve their goals, to help people understand who they are, not just by where they've been or, or what they've seen in the shit that they've been through, but to, under, to help people understand how to get to where they're going by 
telling them what, what I've been through, the shit that I've been through. You know, I've been through some real serious shit in my life, but that, that's never deterred me from becoming who I am and who I expect to be. And it really hasn't stopped me from helping others and, and showing other people the way. You know, with this pink, with this pink pinky nail now, you know, that young lady just got married this year. And that's, that's my goal, right? To help as many ladies, as many women, as, as many females get, in, get into cybersecurity. To, to, it's not just a guy's thing. It's just not where a, a sausage fest of, of, of guys walking around saying they hack something. It's about people who are critical thinkers, who contribute, who care and have empathy and share their knowledge. That's what it's about. And that's what I'm here to help people understand and to help people and encourage people to do with their skills. Yeah, man. Um, I've, I've seen a lot. I've been through a lot. I, I, I have my jump bag right here with, with my Bitcoin collection on them, and I'll show Mark after. But the only thing that, the only thing that I can encourage people to do is never give up. Always hold your head high. And never, ever, ever, ever consider giving up, no matter how tough things may get. Because one way or another, you'll find a way. You'll find a path. And so, hopefully what I've said, hopefully my story helps. I don't know. But um, if it reaches one person and, and it gives someone that motivation to say, hey, you know, I can do that too. You know, I can get from living in cars to consulting with, you know, celebrities and, and governments, you know, well then you can do it too. So there's nothing that you can't do. There's nothing that we can't do. It's only, it's only about what you choose to do and the decisions that we all make. And so I choose to do the right thing. I choose to make the right decisions and I choose to make uh, the right call. And so that's my story. All right. Thank you, Governor. Thanks.